scripture passage for today is Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in grace, in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, merciful Father, what a great thing it is to be forgiven of sin. Father, you are holy, you are just, you sent your Son to die for sinners. Father, and so I'm praying that this word, the gospel, your word, Father, would go forth into hearts today. Would convict of sin. Perhaps there's someone here who is holding on to guilt. They don't need to, Father. I pray that by the end of this message, that if your words are spoken truly, a new birth, new life would be created for your glory, Father. So, Father, please come now. The gospel is simple. Give me words that are faithful and true and clear that we all might be helped, O God. We all might be helped to know you, to love you more, and to rest, to completely rest, Father, in your loving arms, knowing Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, just as a quick survey, how many here have maybe within the last couple of weeks, read Galatians or Romans? Anyone? Oh, quite a few. That's great. Well, uh, Galatians has had quite a history in the life of the church, as many New Testament books have. Um, to the Reformation, Martin Luther was greatly impacted by this book. Six short chapters, six short chapters, and the gospel being proclaimed so powerfully through those six chapters Look what happened. Look what happened. And all of the people that came after, many who have embraced the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, I just plan to let the text speak for itself. It's not terribly complicated. We'll go to a few passages within Galatians. Um, This will be a two-part series. Today, we will cover the core of the gospel, kind of in a more abstract sense, but very applicable to us. And then next week, we will look into... How does the gospel, how does the fact that I'm accepted in Christ impact my daily walk, impact my parenting, impact my work? So the gospel, know the gospel. What is at stake in not knowing the gospel? Well, I was thankful for Pastor Charlie's message last week, and I summarized it in my own terms, resting in our Savior's arms, no more striving for acceptance. Resting in our Savior's arms, No more striving. When we're in Christ, 
him having paid the penalty for everything, we can be free. We can be free in him, resting in our Savior's arms. So at the end of the message, I pray that you will feel that love. You'll have felt it somehow, felt the Lord come close to you. Maybe you'll confess your sins over the next half hour, and Christ will meet you powerfully, and you'll feel that love. So, resting in our arms. That's one of the ways that if we don't know the gospel, we will strive. We'll strive in the flesh and we won't know peace. Number two, the glory of Christ is at stake if we get the gospel wrong. Listen to this passage from Hebrews chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If we get the gospel wrong, if we don't know it and embrace it in our hearts, we will in some measure diminish what the Lord has done. So I think that's why Paul was so adamant in his passage, which we'll review briefly in a moment. It's so important that we know it in this day and age, know it deep down in our souls what the gospel is. Our Lord paid an awesome price. Let's not undermine what he did. The third thing I think is at stake in not knowing the gospel is simply the safety and comfort of our souls. The safety and comfort of our souls. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins are covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. How many here know the peace of a good devotional life, good quiet time with the Lord when you've poured out your heart and your soul to him, just confessing your sins and he meets you? Well, if we don't approach the Lord the way Paul wants us to approach him, we won't know that peace. We may know it in part. Some other aspects we may be striving in the flesh. So the passage that Mark read for us is uh, Paul's warning. It directs us to know the gospel message. So I'm going to briefly go over that passage, but I would like to use that passage as like a warning and then go through some of the rest of the book and show some of the false teachings, things that we're to look out for. So you see in that passage, Paul was amazed. He was absolutely amazed that the churches were deserting Christ. Think about the Apostle Paul. If you have a chance this week, read 2 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11, 12 perhaps. Read the heart of the Apostle Paul. That's the most hard-hitting passage in the New Testament, to know his love for his people. There are a number of passages in Galatians as well. You see and you can feel his concern. He does not want these people to be sidetracked from the gospel. So he's amazed. Number two, there were false teachers distorting the true gospel. Now this is key. Who desired that, the, that law and rule-keeping was required for the Gentiles to be accepted into the people of God. We all know, I'm not saved by my works. I'm not saved by my works. We all... Praise God, we know that. Well, these folks here were causing distortion of the gospel, saying you had to do something else other than believe in order to be saved. 
And Paul pronounces a curse on anyone who distorts the gospel. Anyone. Think of the gospel distorters in our age. Think of those who deny the deity of Jesus, deny the, the um, full humanity of Jesus, those who deny that Christ indeed was a substitute for us. They're out there. We need to know the warning for Paul. And curse it as anyone who distorts the gospel. This is serious. These are serious terms. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Very important. Very, very important. And finally, interesting, Paul says he was, he was being a slave. Prove he truly was teaching the gospel. Paul was not trying to please men. Paul was a Jew. If he wanted to be accepted by the, the rank and file, he could have just said, yeah, you know, you're right, we'll, we'll allow some little law-keeping here and there. But he did not do that. He did not do that. So the main idea for today is we are accepted by God through our faith, not by our actions. Very common message. We're all familiar with this. We are accepted by God through faith, not based on our actions. So we have to be aware. We have to know the gospel. Are we resting in Christ, and, or are we always striving in our own flesh, trying to earn his acceptance of us? So I'm praying, like I prayed in my prayer, that there would be new birth this morning, that you would be released from your captivity to trying to earn God's acceptance of you. So again, the main idea is accepted by God through faith, not based on our actions. We're going to look at a few passages um, to better understand the false teaching. And notice as we read through these passages the emphasis on law-keeping, what Paul is getting at. So if you would, turn to chapter 2, and I'll be reading verses 11 through 14. Chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I posed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew... Live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews. How is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Kind of a long passage. Maybe the main point isn't clear, but essentially what, Paul, uh, what Peter was doing and Paul was getting on Peter about is prior to his friends coming, Jewish friends, he was eating things probably that Jews didn't want him to eat. Or in the Jewish law, he wasn't to eat. So he was eating with Gentiles, perhaps foods that were not proper to eat. And so his friends come and he says, I better not do this. He wants acceptance from them. So in some ways, and Paul says he was not keeping in step with the gospel. I think some translations refer to it. Not keeping in step with the gospel. He was essentially saying, or he was worried about what these Gentile friends would think of him. Rather than being so concerned about guarding the truth of the gospel that you are saved you are justified, you are accepted by your faith and not by what you do. 
Next passage. This will be this will be this one we'll go into a little bit more. Chapter three, verses ten through fourteen. Again, notice the emphasis on law keeping and what Paul is warning them against. Chapter three, ten through fourteen. This is where folks are desiring God's acceptance through works of law. This may be the most, in my mind, maybe it's, I'm wrong about this, but it may be the most important passage in Galatians to get at the core of this message. We'll spend a few minutes on this. Verse 10, For as many as are of works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not, abide, not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Just notice a, a few things in these verses, how not to view the gospel. We're not going to be able to go into detail on every one of them. I'd like to make a few comments on just a couple of verses. Verse 10, I'm going to read that again. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Curse it is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. When you see the phrase, works of the law, think this, actions that the law requires. may be obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me when I was studying this. What does this mean, works of the law? Is it works that some law produce? No. Actions that the law requires, which kind of makes sense because we're talking about not believing in a works righteousness. Interesting thing about this verse. Look what it says. It says, you must keep the whole law unless you are, or else you're under a curse. Deuteronomy 27, 26 says, Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Deuteronomy 28, 58, and 59. If you are not careful to observe all the words of this law which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, Then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic sicknesses. So the whole law must be kept. The whole law must be kept. That's not possible, is it? It is not possible. That's why it's a curse. God is holy and cannot tolerate sin. He must recoil against sin. There's not one little thing that we can do that he can pass by on. It's not possible. So we must keep the whole law. Verse 13 now. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the demand slash curse of the law by keeping the law for us. The law is a curse to us. When you see the law, and if you're coming to the law under the Ten Commandments, or if you want to view even the, old, the whole Bible in general, if you're coming to the law with the idea that I'll keep it and I'll be accepted, you're under a curse. Because we can't keep it. That's the point. We cannot keep the law. And this is, this is important. Christ became a curse for us and that he bore the penalty for our not being able to keep this law. 
I'll read that again. Christ became a curse for us in that he bore the penalty for our not being able to keep the law. Jesus stood in the place of all those who would believe in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I'm sure that's a memory verse for a number of folks here. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There is this idea that when Christ died on the cross, all those who believe, Heavenly Father, looked at all of my sin, all of your sin, and punished them on Jesus. He bore, he bore my inability to keep the law. Sin had to be punished. I could not keep the law. None of us can keep the law. So Jesus bore the penalty on himself. And as we'll talk a few more minutes, we'll get into the idea of justification, but Christ's perfect law, his perfect law-keeping gets given to us as a gift. So there's an exchange that goes on. We need it. We need that exchange badly. Paul's trying to help his church here to not get deceived because they will be under a curse if they try to be accepted by God by law-keeping. It's the doctrine of substitution. Verse 14 now. So if you look at the end of 13, it says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. All the blessings, and I won't read this passage today, but a little further on he says, did you begin in the Spirit and now you're trying to perfect your life in the flesh? I think that's the beginning of chapter 5, maybe 6. He says, you know, the blessings come through faith. The Spirit, blessings of the Spirit come through faith and no other way. Christ taking on the curse for us means we receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We're born again by the Spirit. The Word of God gets preached. Perhaps someone will hear the gospel today and the Spirit will create new life. Immediately that person believes. The person goes from death to life and I believe, I believe now in the Lord. It's through faith, not through law-keeping. So the summary of this passage, chapter 3, 10 to 14, we must keep the whole law, but we can't. Christ kept the law for us and bore the penalty of our not being able to keep it. Christ is our great substitute. Think for a minute. Think for the sins you hate. Think for something that you're struggling with. Think for a moment, the hurt you've caused, the pain you've grieved, the Holy Spirit, any number of things, and you just hate it. Christ bore that for you. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to try to do better for him to accept you. You have to throw yourself on the mercy of Christ and say, forgive me, Lord, I'm a sinner. I cannot do enough good things. Please forgive me. He's our great substitute. And faith connects us with God's blessings. Please turn just a little further ahead. Chapter 3, verses 19 through 22. Okay, so we're not supposed to law keep, but what's the purpose of the law then? Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. These two verses are important, 21 and 22. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? promises of God. May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, 
then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise of by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. That's about as crystal clear as it can, it can get. It doesn't require a lot of extra commentary. Now will we believe it? The function of the law, when we open the word, or if you're, maybe you're witnessing to somebody, maybe when the evangelistic team goes out today and they're witnessing to somebody and the person says, I just got to clean up my act for us. I've been this, that, and every other thing. They say, no. Yes, you're doing wrong, but that should drive you to the mercy of the cross. You can never do enough good things. So it should drive us to God. Romans 5.20 says the law came in so that what? Transgression would increase. The law shows us our need for Christ. It drives us. When we see how desperate we are to keep this law, we have to give up or we have to go to Jesus. If we give up and I'm just going to keep sinning because I can't stop anyway, okay, well, then there's a penalty for that as well. But we hope it's the other. And we just say, Lord, I'll take the free offer of the gospel. I believe you. I believe you. One final passage, just to illustrate. Again, we're illustrating some of the false teachings, and then we'll get on to some of the passages in Galatians that talk about the true nature of the gospel. Chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Again, place yourself, I suspect most of us, as I think of towards next week, most of us are going to be placing ourselves in next week's message, which is more of the practical, yeah, I don't try to keep the law, I'm not trying to be keep, save myself through works, yeah, I know, cause, so, all right. Um, this passage here is helpful, too, in that regard. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And insert circumcision, anything I tried to do to be accepted. It's not just circumcision, and elsewhere he talks about law-keeping in general. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. So receiving circumcision or anything else we might boast in, separates us from Christ. Now, maybe we wouldn't see, well, I'm not boasting in it, but maybe we have a subtle reliance on our deeds. Maybe it's something, I look back over my last couple of weeks, and I've been a halfway decent dad to the kids, and I, you know, I haven't gotten too out of hand over here and out of here. And, but you know, you're not boasting, of course. You're not really boasting. But in some ways, anytime a motion arises in our hearts or our minds saying, I don't need Christ, he should bless me because this, 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 and this. Um, a warning flag should go off. A warning sound should go off in our hearts. If we try to say, well, I'll just do this, and then he's obligated now to react to me in a certain way, the Father. Guess what? Now you've signed up to keep the whole law. You have to do all of it, not just that one. If we think there is just one thing, this just this one thing we must do to be accepted, we then obligate ourselves to keep the whole law. And we essentially say Christ's perfect law-keeping is not needed. Right? Makes sense? I think, well, I'll just hold this, because I've been really good at this. I don't have this problem that this one over here has, and so I'm kind of building up a little case for myself. Remember the purification for sins we read about in Hebrews? If we think like that, 
And if we kept thinking like that, we'd be under a curse and we'd diminish the work of Christ. Needed a perfect substitute. We are not perfect. One little sin. One little sin sent Christ to the cross. None of us are perfect. We need his law-keeping for us. So those are just a few passages that Paul was talking about, just talk about, talked about circumcision or any type of thing that you want to do to be accepted by God is off-limits. We'll talk about obedience for the Christian right at the very end briefly. What does that look like? But for the point of getting into the kingdom, being saved, encourage those around you, encourage the people that are discouraged to say, throw yourself on the mercy of Christ. You can't live hoping to be accepted by what you do or whether you had a good quiet time or whether you, whatever, fill in the blanks. It doesn't work that way. And think of it. Isn't that tormenting to your souls if you want it? If really, who is, I mean, anybody's tried to live that way to a certain, we have kind of born legalists always trying to show our pride and it's tormenting. You know you're breaking yourself against the law constantly. The law is not meant for us to keep it, to be accepted by God. It's just not meant that way. It's meant us to drive us to the cross. It meant us to drive us to the cross. Okay. Now, now the good news. Galatians, it's amazing, and again, in six short chapters, there's so much false teaching that he highlights and then so much wonderful gospel. And I think I only have one passage outside of Galatians, but I'm probably not going to comment on a lot of them because they, are, they do speak for themselves. But we're, again, we're accepted by God through faith, through our faith, not based on our actions. The moment you believe, that occasion when you said, yes, Lord, forgive me, that occasion, he accepts you for Christ's sake. That occasion, whether it was five minutes ago, whether it was five years ago, that occasion, that exercise of faith made you accepted to God. And we'll learn it later that the gift itself is a, is a uh, faith itself is a gift so let's look at the gospel in Galatians and Romans. Everybody here, most people here have heard the term justification, what that refers to. So we are justified. We're declared not guilty through faith, but based on Christ's work being credited to us. We're declared not guilty through our faith based on Christ's work, Christ's perfect law-keeping being credited to us, given to us as a gift. I just want to summarize. I've used this before when I've spoken with non-Christians and Christians. It's a helpful way to think about heaven. It says, you know, we need two things to enter heaven. We need to be forgiven and we need to be perfect. I'm not trying to be cute. There is a sense that God requires perfection. Requires perfection. First thing, we need to be forgiven. Christ bore the penalty for our sin. When we believe the Heavenly Father said, I've, cru- I've crucified your sins. I've punished your sins on my only son. So now I'm forgiven. But we also need a positive righteousness. The law hasn't gone away in the sense. Somebody had to keep the law perfectly, and it couldn't be human beings. So it was the Lord Jesus. And when we throw ourselves on the mercy of Christ, confess our sins, we're forgiven, his blood cleanses us, and God views the perfect law-keeping of Christ is ours as a gift. He views everyone here who has believed through the lens of Jesus. You have Christ's righteousness credited to you. I see you through the lens of my son. 
That's what it means. It's a legal declaration that you are not guilty, but it's not based on anything you did. It's based on the work of my son. Go to Galatians chapter 2, please, verses 15 through 16. Notice the justification language here. It says, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Again, works of the law mean works that the law requires. That's about as clear as it can get. The legal declaration of not guilty to every sinner is not based on works. It's based through our faith, through us believing what Jesus has done for us. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. I did, I'm going to a number of passages. You, do, you need to see how many passages in Galatians is de- dealt with this core issue. Verses 6 through 8, chapter 3. Even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Being a son of Abraham, receiving the promises of Abraham is through faith, not through physical descendants. He talks about that a little bit later, which we won't get into, but we're true seed of Abraham when we believe like Abraham the believer. Galatians three twenty three to 24. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Again, there's that point of the law being used to really, in a sense, crush us, to show us how grievous our sin is, and then to drive us to Christ, that we can be declared not guilty and accepted for the sake of his work. Anybody feeling the weight of this at all? Anybody? I know you haven't. This isn't the first time that you've heard these things, but um, it must be pretty important because in six chapters, it's all over the book. It's gospel all over the book. And I couldn't leave with just one, one passage from Romans, chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. You don't have to go there. I can read it for you. Now we know that word of the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Right? We know this. The law is a curse to us. We can't keep it. Everyone's accountable to God. Verse 20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. No flesh will be justified in his sight through law keeping, through trying to do better. That's not the good news of the gospel. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So let's summarize a bit. Maybe it's to your own heart. Maybe it's to a family member. Maybe it's Scott and the team going out later, meeting people on the street, and this person feels terrible. Maybe they get around to the conversation. I I just could never be good enough. I could never. You have no idea what I've done to my parents or whatever, or whatever it is. You have no idea. There's only two things really you can say. You can say, well, do better which the person's under a curse, right? You just curse them. There's no hope to just to tell somebody to do better. Their only hope is to say the free gift of the gospel. And you say to the person, that's right. 
There's no way you can do enough good things. No way, but someone who did. The Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, died for your sins and lived the perfect life so that you could be accepted by Almighty God freely if you just throw yourself on his mercy like a little child coming, oh, mommy and daddy, I'm sorry. That's how we come. We come desperate. We don't come with anything in our hands. We don't come saying, but I'm a little better than this false faith over here. It doesn't work that way. We're all deceivers in a sense. We're all sinners deep down in our souls. No hope outside of the gospel. No hope outside of the gospel. So maybe there's someone here that is carrying an incredible weight of guilt. A weight of guilt that you just can't bear any longer. Well, you don't have to bear it. You do not have to bear it. Doesn't matter what it is. It does not matter what it is. Christ is perfect. He's the Holy One of God. He's the Son of God. If He's not worthy of bearing all of this, pick your sin. If He's not worthy of bearing it, we have no hope. But He's perfect, holy. He can bear any sin, no matter how bad you think it is. Doesn't matter what it is. Throw yourself on your mercy, on His mercy, right now, and say, "Please forgive me." And the Lord God will look at you now, from evermore, through the lens of His Son Jesus Christ. What better news is that? Well, I come to the end. I got a couple more comments. I wonder if there might be some questions you might have about what's the point of repentance. What's, what about repentance? We haven't talked much about that. It says, repent and believe the gospel. There's many places that talk about that. Well, first of all, both faith and repentance are gifts. They're gifts from God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, of course, by, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That talks about faith being a gift. And then 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. There are other passages that talk about repentance. So essentially, repentance, when you come to faith the first time, you say, I give up on myself, I'm turning from that way of myself, and I'm going to Jesus. Repentance is a turning. It's not a work. It's literally a desperation. I can't do that. I'm just... I'm turning to Jesus. So this kind of one side of the coin, faith is on the other side of the coin. You turn away from yourself. You turn to the only one who can help you, the Lord Jesus. So that's the issue with repentance. Now, where does obedience fit in with the Christian life? If works of law, things that the law requires, will not make us acceptable to God, what about obedience? doesn't care about us being obedient, and he does. He does. First of all, Christians obey. People who have been born of the Spirit obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me. This shows our love for Christ and desire to be like him. When we're, we don't obey to be one of the sheep. We obey because we're already a sheep. We obey because God created new birth. He opened your eyes, so you threw yourself on his mercy, and then now obedience is from the heart. 
It's based on our already being changed. The law is written on our hearts. The Holy Spirit now works within us, guiding us and directing us out of a love and a consideration for the Lord Jesus. Not out of, I've got to earn something here. I have to earn. It's not the case. We don't obey to be saved, but because we are saved. And obedience is very important in the Christian life. Again, if Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Talked about being salt in, in the earth. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has to become tasteless, what's it good for? It's good for nothing to be thrown out of foot. So we want to be salty Christians. We want to show the world the goodness of Christ, show what his work has done through us. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. This is where we get the idea that obedience is from faith that's pleasing to God. Without, for he who comes to God must believe that he exists or that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. I think this goes back to Pastor Charlie's message last week and Pastor Kevin's the previous week. Reaching out in faith, or reaching out, struggling, not striving in the flesh, but reaching out to the one who you know can help you, the one who is there for you, the one who's saved you, the one who's redeemed you, and then resting in his arms. What's easier John Piper said in his book, Future Grace, I'll never forget this because perhaps I was striving in the flesh at the time. He said, you know, faith in God's grace should be really easy. Right? You know, it's an almighty God. Why, why would it be difficult to have faith in God? He says, well, it's intrinsically easy. You know, what's, what should be easier than believing in an almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, who controls all things, who, who created new birth in you? Shouldn't that be easy? He says it's very easy, except, and this is the, the difficult part, is that when we're not weaned from the world, when we are too caught up in the world and the, and the world has got its tentacles in us somehow and we have these idols left in our heart, right? We're not perfect, right? We are not perfect. We're saved, but there's the process now of God making us more and more like himself. So there you go. Sometimes we don't enjoy the peace that we should enjoy because we're living in sin in some ways. And we need to rebuke each other. We need to point each other back. Not to, oh, do this, do this, do this, so God will accept you. Saying, Go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. See your sins crucified there. See them punished on the cross. The very sin you hate, the very sin that you wish you had never done and never do again, close your eyes. Like Paul says in Romans chapter 6, don't you know those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? View that. It's, it's really an activity that we all must do if we want to live a joyful life. We have to see that there's a working we do, but it's working in the strength that God provides, so it's not a striving in the flesh. It's not a, a toilsome burden. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be. So obedience is important, certainly for the Christian. So let me summarize here again. It's very simple. We accept it by God through faith, not by what we do. He'll declare us not guilty based on what his son has done. And will we rest in this? You know, these, um, John Owen wrote a book four or 500 years ago. 
he writes this whole book about how evil sin is and, and what to do about it. At the end of the book, it was a summary section. This is how you live the Christian life. Focus on Christ crucified and your union with him. That was the end. That was the ending. After all of this detail, then you know how bad you are and you see how evil sin is and the remaining sin in you. And at the end of it was focus on Christ crucified and union with him. So I leave that with you. Will you do that today? Will you cast off the burdens that you're carrying, place them on Christ where they belong? He'll receive them freely. He's an awesome and merciful Savior. An awesome and merciful Savior. Well, let's pray. Father, I do thank you for mercy in Christ. I thank you for saving me. And Father, I do not want to undermine the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the life of Christ, the fact that he lived the perfect life. Father, help me not to undermine that by thinking I can add anything to what's already been done. I love you, Father. I love you for my brothers and sisters here. And I do pray, Father, that my imperfect words may have been used to encourage someone here or used by your spirit in a way maybe we'll hear about. So please help us, Father. Please help us to rest in what Christ has done. And help us to love you, Father. Let's go on now living in the freedom, the absolute freedom and acceptance that Almighty God has for us who believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.